something about what you're saying this morning. Sing it again now. Let's turn around and shake hands and fellowship. Welcome our visitors. Let them know how thrilled we are to have them. the first now. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is thy flow that makes me Bye. 
Let's set our ushers come forward to receive her offering, and as they do so, if you are visiting with us today, we would uh, like to get to know you, and we want you to get to know us, and so we'd like for you to take just a moment to fill out a visitor's card. When you came in this morning, you may have been given a little welcome uh, card to you. There's a visitor's card in there. Your bulletin has a card in it. If not, there's some cards in the back of the pews, and if you would take just a moment to fill one of these cards out drop in offering plate we'd like to send you some information this week about the church but we certainly appreciate all of you being with us today and all of those that are visiting several folk i see around the building that are visiting with us this morning uh, miss boatman good to see you here this morning this is bert and martha's daughter and wesley is he still preaching my sermons down there amen miss perry good to see you good to have you with us this morning and others that are here, we're glad that you're in the services this morning. Let me just make mention of a couple of things real quickly. Uh, many of you know that Jessie Morton, her house burnt this week, and she literally lost everything. And uh, the Awana Guard leaders are going to be having a shower for Jessie Sunday, January the 14th, and that'll be from 4 to 6 o'clock. That'll be at the Family Life Center. Again, this is a shower for Jessie, and uh, so if you have any information uh, I'll leave this sheet up here. You can contact Cindy Woods, but uh, we appreciate the Awana guards doing this. We want to continue to pray for Jesse. Also, justified to be singing uh, the uh, Rock Springs Civic Center with the Hollander Brothers and different other groups. That'll be uh, Saturday the 13th at 6 o'clock. And so many of you have been going traveling with them, and we enjoyed that. So you may want to make note of that. And so keep this in mind. Let's pray now. Let me give you a couple of names to add to your prayer list. I want to remember Brother David Watkins is one of our newer members. And his mother, Ruby Watkins, passed away. And, and they'll be receiving friends from 2 to 4, 6 to 9 this afternoon at the Turner's Funeral Home on Highway 58. And her funeral will be tomorrow at 3 o'clock at the Bartabal Baptist Church. So let's remember David and Rose and be praying for all of the family. And then add Eddie Goddard's name to your prayer list, Brother Eddie. And, of course, he's one of our favorites around here, and we appreciate him and Doreen. Brother Eddie's in the hospital down in South Carolina. He was down there preaching, and uh, he's got pneumonia. And but we want to be praying for Eddie. Talked to him just a few moments last night. Lord willing, he'll get to come home Tuesday. But let's pray for Eddie and pray that the Lord will touch him. Let's pray now. You give, and the Lord bless you for your giving. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to give to you. Bless the offering now. And I pray, Lord, that you'll continue to bless this service in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's not conservative or liberal, however they're defined. It's not about interpretation or the judgment of mine. It's the opposite politics, power or prestige. It's about a simple message. And whether we believe it's still the cross, still the blood of Calvary that cleanses sin and sets the captive free, it's still. Subtle lies that are wrapped in noble deeds. 
alter our convictions to adapt to social wills. But we cannot change the gospel, all the truth contained within, it's still the cross, still the blood of Calvary that cleanses He groaned 
upon a tree amazing pity grace unknown and love beyond degree Get you fired up. You would, would you? <laughs> Lily of the valley, let your sweet aroma feel my Sharon, show me how to grow in beauty. 
in God's sight. Cherished of ten thousand, make me a reflection of your light. Day star shine down on me, just let your love shine through me in the night.
Sing with us, tis so sweet. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to Ah. Uh-huh. 
open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I tell you what, instead of preaching, I feel like just running right down that aisle and circling this building about three times. I would if it wouldn't scare some of you half to death. The anchor holds. Do you believe that? It certainly does. These folks coming to the altar. I'm glad to come to church. And when you come to church, you come more than to a cemetery. You come to church. It's a place where you meet God. And as I have so often said, I don't care when a person comes to the altar. I just, it doesn't matter to me. You come to first of the service, at the end of the service, the middle of the service, or all through the service. I just want you to come and get help from God. That's what we come to church for. God forbid we ever have a place where we come to church and we can't get help. This is what church is all about. I'm just glad to be saved and to know that my anchor holds. I know many of your burdens, and I know many of the things you're going through, and I know the load that you carry, but I want you to know one thing. The Word of God is true, and God is on His throne in heaven, and the anchor holds. You can depend on the promises of the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Take your Bible, 1 Peter 2. While you're turning there, let me just say a word. I'm excited about we're getting ready to start our third semester of faith. And everybody that has gone through faith in the past two semesters, would you stand, please? Everybody that has been in our, one of our faith teams, either as a leader or a learner. These folks here, several of them all across the building. Thank you. You may be seated. And I'll guarantee you if I let them all come up here and testify, they'll all tell you what a blessing it's been. And it's one of the most exciting things that I've been a part of, and I think the most exciting thing, uh, ministry program that we have brought into this church. And we're getting ready to start our third semester. We have our kickoff banquet in about two weeks. In fact, it's two weeks from Thursday night. And that'll be a very special time for all of those who have been in faith. We'll be recognizing. And uh, some will be graduating, becoming leaders and many others will be coming in the learners, and they'll be getting their first introduction into faith. But we're excited about our third semester that starts February the 8th, I believe it is. That's on a Thursday night. Many of you have been praying about it, and in fact, many of you I have wrote this week and invited you to be a part of faith, and I hope that many of you will do it. And I, I promise you, if you've seen the screen up here, if you want a place to grow spiritually... And if you want a place to serve the Lord, this is the place to do it. So I want many of you to really consider becoming faith. You've been approached by different ones, and many have already filled their teams, but we still have some openings. And if you want to get in on one of the greatest things going on around here, you want to get in on faith. Now, I want all of our faith leaders, all of those leaders from faith last semester, and if you're a new one coming in and you'd like to meet with us tonight, I need to meet with you just a few minutes after the service and just touch base. It won't take about five, ten minutes of your time. All of our leaders from the last semester and those that are, have already signed up or are going to be a part of faith, if you want to come, we'd love to have you too. like to meet you. And if you are interested in being a part of faith, if, I, if you received a letter from me this week or someone has called you or asked you to come, if somebody's been on you every time you walked in the door, say, are you going to be on my team? Are you going to be on my team? Are you going to be on my team? And you want to be a part of faith, you meet us tonight. And this way we'll help fill out our teams and know where everybody's going to be, and you will know where you're going to be. All you got to do is show up tonight. I'll tell you what you need to do and what faith is all about, and I'll promise you one thing. You become a part of faith, you'll never regret it. It is a thrilling, thrilling thing to be a part of. I'm just looking forward to it. 
1 Peter 2, let's stand our feet and let's honor the reading of His Word. I want to share with you one verse of Scripture and then we'll build our thoughts around this verse of Scripture. In fact, there is a statement in that verse of Scripture that I want us to build our thoughts upon and then we'll consider that statement within its context. But I want us to think this morning about being billboards for Jesus or an advertisement for Jesus or for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you realize this morning that every one of you is a billboard? You are a spiritual billboard. You say, well, I may be as big as a billboard, but I know that I'm a billboard. Everybody in this room today is a billboard or an ad for the Lord. Let me show that to you from the Scripture this morning. 1 Peter 2, and let's look at verse 9. We'll read it, and then we'll pray, and then we'll work our way through the text today. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, the Bible said, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You notice the latter part of verse 9, he said that ye should show forth his, the praises of him who hath called you. Thank you. you. May be seated. Let's pray. And this morning for just a little while, we want to think about this matter of being a billboard for Christ, a billboard for Jesus, an advertisement for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, already it has been a blessing to be in the house of God. Our heart has been stirred. Our hearts have been blessed. Our minds have been drawn to the truth of God. And our minds have been reminded, our hearts have been reminded of what you are to us and what you mean to us. We're so thankful this morning that the anchor holds. And what a comfort and a strength that is to so many in this room today that are going through some of the darkest times of their life. To know that the promises of God are sure. To know that the promises of God are reliable. And to know that the promises of God are dependable. For these things we bless your name and thank you. Now, Father, on this Sunday morning, speak to us now about our role as a believer. Help us to see, Lord, how that we are to be an advertisement for you. Show us from the Word of God how to be that advertisement, and we'll thank you and we'll praise you for it is. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask these things. Amen. As everybody in this room knows, our lives are surrounded, and you might say bombarded with advertising. Just about everywhere you go and on just about everything you see, you find advertisement. You pick up your newspaper. All through the newspaper, there are ads. You pick up a magazine, and just about every page, you will find an ad. You turn your radio on, radio on, and just about every other minute or so, you'll hear an ad. You turn your TV on, and you're bombarded with advertising. And I hate advertising. I like to be right slam in the middle of a good shoot 'em up a Western or a mystery story, and right when it gets good, they break away for some dumb ad about how to lose weight. Isn't that right? Say amen. Some ad buster or something like that. But you turn the TV on, about every 12, 13 minutes, we have about two, three minutes of advertising. Again, people advertise on just about anything, pens, calendars, you name it. You'll find something that is being advertised. 
In fact, Brad or Dunn and Bradstreet said that 95% of all business failures are from the ranks of the non-advertisers. And the reason that people advertise is they have something they want to market. They have a product they want to sell. There is something they want to interest us in. So they advertise and skillfully and craftily. They make their advertisements so that we are drawn to their product and we are drawn to that which they are marketing. It is the matter of advertising. Well, as I find in the Scriptures, I read our text this morning, I am reminded that this world is not only in the advertising business, but we as a believer are in the advertising business. You say, what are you talking about? You notice our text in verse 9, Peter gives us what I would call a five-fold description of the Christian life. And he describes the believer in a five-fold way. You notice in verse 9, he talks about how the believer is a chosen generation. That word generation that he uses there is a word that talks about race. And it talks about a body with a common life and descent. You see, if you're a child of God this morning, then you, there's something that we all share in common. We are the family of God. Uh, we have our life in Jesus Christ. We are a chosen race. We are a chosen generation. Chosen, the ideal is that we've been brought into a special relationship with God because we are a chosen generation. He also said in verse 9 that we're a royal priesthood. Back in chapter 2, verse 5, he talked about we being a holy priesthood. That is, we're sanctified and set apart to divine usage. But now in verse 9, he talks about being a royal priesthood. And the word royal there has the ideal of kingly. We not only have the right to come, not only have the privilege of being a priest, but we have a right to come to God. We have access to God as a heavenly priest. But he also describes us as being not only a chosen generation and being a royal priesthood, but in verse 9, he also calls us a holy nation. The word nation that is used there refers to a multitude of people with the same nature. You realize this morning that all of us, we come from different backgrounds. Our roots are different. Our vocations and occupations differ. We come from a holy nation. And the word holy there has the ideal of being set apart from normal use and being set apart unto divine use. You see, is God's nation. And it's a multitude that shares divine life. And it's a multitude that is partakers of His divine nature. We have been set apart to serve God. And we have been set apart for the purposes of God. But you'll notice that He also describes us as a peculiar people. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I know many peculiar people. And I know many peculiar Christians. And I've met a few in my life. Can I get an amen right there? But peculiar and But when he talks about peculiar here, he's not talking about somebody that is odd. He's not talking about somebody that uh, is different, as we say, they're a peculiar person. In fact, the word peculiar that he uses here is a very interesting word. It's a fascinating word. It talks about something that has attained great value, but it's attained great value because of the one that owns that particular matter. It'd be like going through a museum. If you were to go through a museum, you would find some items, items that in themselves have very little value. 
You might find a pen. You might find a sheet of paper. You might find an envelope. You might find some little item there that in itself, separated from that display, would have very little value in itself. But what makes it valuable is because of who that item belonged to. That's what the word peculiar talks about. Now, I think about myself. In myself, I have very little value. But my value is not in what I am. My value is in the fact that I belong to God. I am a peculiar person. And therefore, you are very valuable because God is your owner. I have a number of books in my study and a number of books that really have very little value as far as if you were just to go out and buy them maybe give two three four five dollars maybe ten and the most expensive set of books I have is a set of books two little books that I give a hundred dollars for and that's the most I ever spent for them and I gave that because on the inside they're signed by Charles Haddon Spurgeon but I have a number of books that maybe have very little value but they are valuable because on the inside, they are the autographs of the author. I have several by D.L. Moody, Amy Carmichael, and different ones that I have found through the years. The value is not in the item itself, but who possessed that item and what is involved. That's what it means to be peculiar. We are a peculiar people. But the field thing that he says about us, he not only describes us as a chosen generation, and not only describes this as royal priesthood and a holy nation and a peculiar people, but you'll notice also in verse 9 that he describes this as an advertisement. We read the phrase a moment ago, and I repeated it in verse 9, that ye should show forth, underscore those words for just a moment, that ye should show forth. The words there, they actually come from one word that describes something being advertised. Or to put it very simply, the words show forth simply mean to advertise. What Peter tells us is that we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. And we are a holy nation. And we are a peculiar people. And we are to be an advertisement of who we are and what we are and what God has done in our life. He's telling us that we are an ad, that we are an advertisement. You see, God's chosen method of advertising is through His people. God doesn't put ads in a paper. God doesn't put ads on the radio. God doesn't put ads in a magazine. He doesn't run 30-second spots on TV. No, God's chosen method of advertising is through his children so every one of us today I don't care who you are if you are saved then you are may I say a billboard for Jesus Christ now here's the question what kind of billboard should we be what kind of advertisement should we be look at our text and context and let me show you and point out to you three things about the kind of advertisement that we ought to be the first thing that I want to draw your attention to is found in verse 9, and that is we're to be an advertisement of the power of our salvation. We're to be an advertisement or a billboard of the power of our salvation. Jot this reference down, Romans 1.16. Romans 1.16, Paul talked about the gospel. And he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And the reason Paul said, I am not ashamed, because he said, it is the power of God unto salvation. You realize this morning that you are an advertisement of that power? You are an advertisement of God's saving power. In other words, in my life, 
And in your life, this world ought to see what God can do for a sinner. You're an advertisement of his saving power. You are a billboard that sets forth an ad that says this is what God can do for sinners. What can he do for sinners? Look at our text. Look at the latter part of verse 9. You see, first of all, that he talks about the light our salvation provides. Notice what he said in the latter part of verse 9. He tells us that we have been called, he hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, before we got saved, we were groping in darkness. We were blinded by the God of this world. We were in darkness, and that darkness was manifested in our attitudes. That darkness was manifested in our affections. We loved darkness more than we did light. And that darkness was manifested in our actions, how we lived. What we did before we got saved merely revealed the fact that we were in darkness. But I want you to understand something. What salvation does, it brings you out of darkness and it brings you into light. Instead of walking in darkness, we now live in the blessedness and the light of a holy life. Instead of living in darkness, we live in the light of a happy life. Instead of living in darkness, we live in the light of a heavenly life. There is the light that salvation provides. But notice something else in verse 10. Second of all, he talks about the life our salvation produces. There's not only the light that our salvation provides, but in verse 10 we read, which in time past were not a people, but are now a people of God. There is the life that salvation produces. Before we got saved, we were children of this world. And before we got saved, we were children of the devil. But I want you to understand something. That when a man comes to Jesus Christ and he's saved with the grace of God, he becomes God's son. And he becomes a member of God's children. And he becomes a member of God's family. You become a people of God. We were not the people of God, but now we are the people of God. That's what salvation does for you. Brings you out of darkness into light. It brings you out of death into life. But look at verse 10 also, at the love that our salvation proclaims. Not only the light that it provides and the life that it produces, but in verse 10, there is the love that it proclaims. For the Bible said, notice the latter part of verse 10, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You realize before we got saved, we were creatures of no hope. It wasn't anything we could do to save ourselves. We were hopeless. We were condemned, and we were on our way to hell. We couldn't change that. We couldn't, we couldn't alter that. We couldn't reverse that. We were hopeless, hell-destined, hell-deserving sinners. But oh, thank God for the day when somebody told me a story of love, that there was a God that loved hell-destined, hell-deserving sinners. And even though I deserved to go to hell, He would give me mercy indeed. Once I was without mercy, but now I have mercy. That's what salvation does when the Bible talks about the power of God and God's saving power. I'll tell you what God's saving power is. God's saving power will bring a man out of darkness and bring him into light. 
God's saving power will bring a man out of, man out of death and bring, give him life. And God's saving power will bring him out of place of despair and put him into love. That's what the saving power of God will do for a man. Can I get an amen right there? It is God's saving power. Now, here's what it is. We are an advertisement of that saving power. When the world looks at us, they ought to look at us and say, that's what God can do for a man. There's some of you in this room today. Your life, you before you got saved, you were as mean as the devil himself. You cussed like the devil. You acted like the devil. You lived like the devil. Your life was rotten to the core. But God one day reached out and saved you by his grace. And now you that used to cuss like a devil, shout to the glory of God in his service. What made the difference? I'll tell you what it was. It was God's saving power. And you stand up as a testimony. People look at you and they know what you used to be. And now they see you how you are. And what you're doing is you're just simply advertising this world. Listen, there's nobody too mean for God to save. You can't go too far that God would not love you. You're an advertisement of this world that God saves hell, destined, hell, deserving sinners. Every one of us are trophies of God's saving grace. We're an ad. We're an ad of God's power, the power of our salvation. I know folks here, I remember someone, I can't remember who it was that was talking to, but one time walked up to me and said, does so-and-so go to your church? And I always hesitate for a moment because I have no idea what I'm about to hear. Amen. And they said, does so-and-so go to your church? I said, yes, sir, they do. And they said, I knew him before he got saved. And they started telling a bit about his life. And this is the way they put it. You know, he's been a totally different person since he started going over to your church. And I thought to myself, no, it wasn't coming to our church that made the difference. It was who he met down at the church that made the difference. It is the power of God. And we're an advertisement of God's saving power in us. The world sees what God can do for sinners. But let me point out something else in the text, and I hurry on. You not only see that we're to be an advertisement to the power of our salvation, but also as I continue working my way through 2 Peter 2, I see that we would be an advertisement of the proof of our salvation. Not only the power of our salvation, but the proof of our salvation. In verse 11, again, Peter reminds us who we are. He tells us in verse 11 that we are strangers and pilgrims in verse 11. And once he reminds us of who we are, then beginning in verse 12, down through verse 24, it seems that Peter focuses on proving the reality of our profession and proving the reality of our profession to those that are around us and those that are observing us. In fact, I think of Psalm 37, 32. A couple of weeks ago, Brother Goddard preached here on Wednesday night, brought a great message on Psalm 37, 32, where the Bible said, The wicked watcheth the righteous. And he reminded us that we are being watched by the wicked around us or being watched by the world. And I want to remind you once again this morning, if you are a Christian and you profess to be a child of God, then I want you to understand, son, the world is watching you. And our profession is constantly being on trial. If we profess to be saved and somebody says, I'm a Christian, then I want you to understand something. The reality of your faith is constantly being judged. And the reality of your faith is constantly on trial. The real issue is, are we real? Are we the real deal? 
We say that we are saved, but here's the question. Are we the real thing? And that's what Peter seems to focus upon. For example, notice verse 12. Notice what he had to say. First <coughs> Peter 2 and verse 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, now notice, they may by your good works, which they shall behold. Now, he talks about how they behold certain activities on our part. The word behold there simply means to watch. More technically, it means to inspect. It's like somebody watching a matter and carefully scrutinizing that matter, inspecting that matter, really looking at it. Is that real? Peter tells us in verse 12 there that we are being beheld by those around us. They are watching us. Notice down in verse 15 an interesting statement. He said, for so is the will of God. Now, this is one of three times in the Bible that the Bible specifically says this is the will of God. talks about the will of God many times, but only three times does it say this is the will of God. Here's one of them. He said in verse 15, and so is the will of God. What is the will of God? That with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Underscore the word silence for a moment. The word that is used there literally means to muzzle, like a wild dog being muzzled, or to gag someone, to put a cloth in somebody's mouth, to shut them up. Peter is talking about how that as a believer, verse 12, how by good works, verse 15, by well-doing, he is saying that by the way we live, that we are to muzzle those who would be critical of our profession or our faith. That we literally gag those who would be doubtful of whether or not we are real or genuine. What he's saying is that we're to live in such a way that all doubts are removed and that all criticisms are silenced. In other words, he's saying, hey, prove to the world that you're real. You're to be an advertisement. And you are to advertise what God can do in sinners, but also you're to give that kind of advertising, advertisement that says, this is real. You're to show something in your life that is genuine. Notice what he talks about. I point out two things about how he talks about how a believer should live. Notice, first of all, he talks about how we should act as a Christian. Look at verse 12 again. He said, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. When he talks about Gentiles, whenever you study your Bible, talks about Gentiles, it is always in reference to those that are unsaved. So he's talking about Gentiles, and he says, have your conversation honest among the Gentiles. The word conversation is another word, old English word for behavior. Have your behavior, how you act, and then he says, let it be honest. Now, the word honest here is not quite what we mean when we talk about someone being honest or dishonest. But the word that is used here has the ideal of something being beautiful in its appearance, of something being very attractive in the way that it looks. Peter said, now look, you're being uh, watched and inspected by those around you that are unsaved. Now, here's what you want to do. Here's how you ought to act as a Christian. You ought to act in such a way there's something beautiful about your life. You ought to act in such a way there is something attractive about your life. He's talking about how we should act as a Christian. Now, I want you to understand something this morning, that there are some things that are right for a believer, and there are some things that are wrong for a believer. 
And as a Christian, there is a certain way we ought to act. Say, how should we act? You know, just go down, just quickly work through the text. He talks about observing the laws of the land in verse 13 and 14. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king or as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. He's talking about observing the laws of the land. He talks about our relationships to other people in verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. He's talking about in all places and around all people that we're to have a certain kind of relationship. Look at verse 18. He even talks about our work life and where we work. He said, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the forward. He's talking about those that serve others or those who work unto others. To put it down in modern day terms, he's talking about how we behave and how we act on our job. I'm going to tell you something. The best worker down in the factory ought to be those that are saved with the grace of God. And the best worker in the office ought to be those that are saved. The most honest worker in the office ought to be those that have been born again. And he talks about working there. And he talks about being servant and working under those that we work with. He said even working under good bosses and even under bad bosses. And we got a lot of employers in here and, and whatever. What I understand a couple of you mean is the devil. Say amen right there. But... Uh, you ought to, no matter who you're working for, who you're working for, you ought to work for them. He's talking about in all places, around all people. He's talking about how we act. But notice, second of all, not only how we act as a Christian, but how we react as a Christian. Verse 19 through 20, he talks about a believer and his suffering. He talks about how we're treated by other people. Look at verse 19 and 20. For this is thankworthy. If a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully, for what glory is it if when ye are buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable unto God. You notice he talks about our suffering and suffering because of our relationship to God and because of our life. And he talks about how we react to what is happening in our life. It talks about uh, reacting patiently. He's talking about people mistreating us. He's talking about people and what they do in our life and how we react to the things that people do. You notice down in verse 22 that he begins to give us a great example. He talks about the Lord Jesus who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Jesus Christ was the perfect, the only perfect man that ever lived. He never did anything wrong. But notice in verse 23 how he was treated, who when he was reviled, and that word revile means to be, uh, to uh, uh, yell at or to abuse someone. When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Peter talks about how people treat us and how we ought to react to them. And then he talks about our Lord. Say, look at our Lord. When men railed at him and reviled him and abused him, he didn't rail back. He didn't abuse them. When they mistreated him, he didn't try to get revenge. He didn't try to retaliate. He reacted in an altogether different way. He reacted in a godly way. I think about how oftentimes we are quite the contrary. When somebody jumps on us, it's what we do. We say, well, bless God, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. 
And that's usually what we do is a piece of our mind. Somebody jumps on us, we, we jump right back. So nobody's going to jump on me. I'll be on them uh, like a flea on a dog. I'll jump right back on them. Kind of like one fellow I heard about one time, this poor old fella stopped at a truck stop, walked in, sat down at the counter, and he's sitting there eating his dinner when these motorcycle fellas, big old burly, husky-looking motorcycle fellas come walking in. And they sat down on either side of him at the counter there. And one of them leaned over and put his cigarette out in his food. Fella just sat there. The other uh, leaned over and uh, took his milk or his drink and poured it out in the old fella's lap. He just sat there. And the other took his plate and dumped it out on the counter. Fella didn't say a word. He got up and left and walked out the door. And one of those old fellas looked at the man behind the counter and said, hmm, not much of a man, is he? And he looked out the window and said, He's not much of a driver either. He just backed over three motorcycles, amen. Well, sometimes we react. But Peter says, hey, people are watching you. And that we are to act and react in such a way that what we claim to be, the proof of that is demonstrated. You're to be an advertisement. You listen to me, listen to me this morning. You know what, what, we talk about this is the greatest need and you hear this is the greatest need, whatever. But if I was to say what I think is the greatest need in this world, you know what I think the greatest need in this generation is? Is for people just to be real. And for this world to see somebody that professes to be a Christian and they practice being a Christian. I mean, they get to come to church on Sunday and they live like it on Monday. This old world is hungry to see the real thing. This old world needs to see somebody that's got the genuine article, somebody that has been to the cross, somebody that's been to Calvary, saved with the grace of God. Their life has been changed, and they live it day by day by day in how they act and how they react. I'm talking about being an ad and being a real ad, showing the proof of your salvation. I think of Robert Ingersoll. Uh, the infamous infidel, notorious for his attacks on the Bible. Not unusual in his lectures to throw a Bible down on the floor and stand on it and lecture against it or even rip pages out of the Bible, throw them in the air and dare God to do anything about it. But he once wrote a book against the Bible and he sent a copy to an aunt that he had, an aunt Sarah that was a godly Christian woman. And he sent the book to her and on the inside of the flyleaf Ingersoll wrote these words. This is interesting. He said, if all Christians had lived like Aunt Sarah, perhaps this book would never have been written. Mahatma Gandhi, who led teeming millions in the Indian independent movement, probably influenced more people than anybody in history. He once stayed in the home of a Christian couple. He spent time there and later went on to Indian and his movement, different things. But he made the statement years later. He said, I would be a Christian if it were not for other Christians. Are you listening to me? Every one of us today are to be an advertisement for Jesus Christ. You're an ad down there in the factory. You're an ad over there in the office. You're an advertisement over there at the school. You're an advertisement in college. You're an advertisement in your neighborhood. You're an advertisement around your friend. Everywhere, friends, everywhere you go, you're an advertisement. And when you advertise, what are you advertising? 
Do they see you act one way on Sunday and act another way on Monday? I'm saying to you, we all, this world needs to see in us something that is real. You can't sit down at the workplace and cuss with the fellas and come to church on Sunday and expect to show anything real. And you can't tell their dirty jokes and laugh at their dirty jokes and expect this world to be believe that you've got the real thing. No, Peter talks about the world watching us and living in such a way that we gag their doubts and we gag their criticism. They know we've got the real thing. I'm talking about being an ad for the proof of our salvation. He got quiet, but could I get a one or two amens? Amen. The proof of our salvation. What kind of ad are you? What kind of ad? This whole world needs to see the real thing. But let me give you a third and a final thing from the text. He not only talks about being an advertisement for the power of our salvation and the proof of our salvation, but again, I find him talking about being an advertisement for the person of our salvation. You see, first and foremost, we're an advertisement for Jesus Christ. We're to be an advertisement of what he can do for us, and we're to be an advertisement, one that says, hey, look, this is real. This person is real, no doubt about it. But we're to be first and foremost an advertisement, not only of what, but of whom? Of Jesus Christ. Look at the text again. You see, first of all, and I give this quickly, I see that as an ad for Christ, we see that Jesus is to be magnified in our life. Look back at verse 9 again. Notice carefully how he says it. That ye should show forth the praises of him. The word praises that is used there talks about the excellencies of him. That I am to be an advertisement of the excellencies of Christ. That this world is to see in me something about Jesus Christ. They are to see him magnified in my life. Like Peter or Paul rather talked about that Christ be magnified in my body. You know what happens when you magnify something? You take something maybe that is invisible to human eye. You magnify it that it might be visible so that you can appreciate its worth and appreciate its value. And Paul said that Christ may be magnified in my life. He has taken that which is far away and bringing it near so men could see it in his life. Paul talked about her. Peter said, hey, we're to be an advertisement. We're to be a billboard that magnifies Christ in our life. This old world ought to make, see in our life Jesus Christ. And he ought to be made bigger in our life. And they see him in our life, so they're drawn to him. But look down in verse 21 again. Not only is Jesus to be magnified in our life, but he is to be manifested in our life. Look at verse 21 of 1 Peter 2. Look, at the, there's an interesting word here. For even hereunto were ye called... Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. I'll underscore the word example for a moment. That is an interesting word. The word example is a word that describes the Greek method of schoolmasters teaching a student how to write. And the way they would teach a student how to write is they would take a pencil or something and a piece of paper, and they would write their letters very faintly on that piece of paper. Just barely, just faint enough, just where you could just see the letter on the piece of paper. And what the student would do is they would trace over that 
outline, thus learning how to write the letters of the alphabet. That's the idea behind the example. What Peter is saying is that Christ has left us an outline. He's left us an example that as a believer I am to follow every curve of his life. I am to follow every line of his life. He is my model. He is my example. He is my pattern. And I am to follow his life just like it is without any deviation whatsoever. I am to follow the life of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's talking about that the life of Christ is made known in my life and in your life. That the life of Jesus Christ is manifested in our life. That as a billboard, I am to magnify Christ. This world is to see something of the excellencies of Jesus in my life. And that what, how he lived and how he would act and how he would react, they're to see that in my own life as well. You remember, I never, I remember a book that came out a number of years ago, and it was a fictional story. It's been reprinted and reprinted and reprinted and reprinted. I read it when I first got saved. It's a fictional story about a church that was transformed because they began asking themselves one question. You remember what that question was? What would Jesus do? Started with a preacher, and he decided that he wasn't going to do anything without first of all asking, what would Jesus do about this? And then the members began to get involved, and the church became involved, and it totally transformed that church and totally transformed that community because they wouldn't do anything without, first of all, asking the question, what would Jesus do? That's what he's talking about, that we as a believer, we are to manifest Christ in our life. Now, listen to me. You are a billboard. You are God's billboards in Chattanooga, Tennessee. This world is to look at you and this world is to look at me and in our lives, they're to see what God can do for sinners. They're to see that God loves sinners and that he'll save people. But they're to look at us and see the genuine article. They're to look at us and watch us and how we act and how we react and see somebody that is real, not a hypocrite, not a fake, but somebody that is real. And they're to see in our life Jesus Christ magnified and manifested. What kind of ad are you? The story is told of Babe Ruth. And I, Babe Ruth had his problems. There's no question about it. But I ran across one story of Babe Ruth that I appreciated about the babe. One time in his baseball career, they offered him a large sum of money. If he would allow himself to be photographed, with a certain brand of beer in his hand. This is how Babe Ruth responded. He said, no, I have autographed too many baseballs of boys in America to think of helping advertise the sale of beer. Many of these boys regard me as a hero, and I'll do nothing to lessen their esteem of me. I want to ask you tonight, what are you doing? about Jesus Christ in your advertising. The way you live, you build up, do, do you uh, magnify Christ and do you make people more interested in what you've got? Or do they just look at you saying, well, just another one. All right, goes to church, but you ought to hear some of the things he says or you ought to see some of the things she does. They profess to be saved, but they're no different. 
and they look at your life and instead of esteem of Christ being exalted in the name of Jesus being lifted up, do you tear it down? What kind of ad are you in this world of advertising? I'm going to tell you what this old world needs. Like the Super Bowl's coming up in a few weeks, millions of dollars for 30-second ads. Can you imagine that? Four and five million dollars for a 30-second ad. In fact, we've took out two of them from the church for the Super Bowl. Amen. <laughs> That's why we need you to tithe. But can you imagine that? You're talking about expensive ads. But I'm going to tell you the most valuable ads in the world here. You, all across this building. You young people over to high school. You college career people over at the college and university. Now here in the office, over here in the factory, over here and over there. The greatest and most expensive, most valuable ad in this world is God's ads. God's ads. What do they see? Let's stand to our feet, please. I wish this morning for you that are in this building that maybe do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never been saved. You have no hope of going to heaven when you die. You live with that uncertainty that if death was to come, where you would spend eternity. You don't know. You live in fear. Uh, you certainly wouldn't want to go to hell. That I wish this morning that many of the folks in this room could, we had the time to let them come up and tell you what they used to be. And then let me tell you what they do now. People in this room whose lives were wicked, and that's just saying, being kind about how they lived. Their name was in the mud, but one day they got saved. And you know what they do now? They serve on deacon boards. They go out and win people the Lord and tell people about Jesus and teach boys and girls how to be good people and things like that. What made the difference? It is God and His saving power. And I want you to know this morning, God can do the same thing for you. Every person in this room is a testimony, a billboard that God can save you. Every person in this room today is saved is a testimony that God wants to save you, God can save you, and God will take you to heaven one day. We're a testimony of that. We're a billboard for Christ and His saving power. But for all of us in this room today, I speak to myself and for all of us, what kind of advertisement are we for God? Do we make the name of Jesus Christ something that is appealing to others or what? There's a lot of people going to hell because of people that are going to heaven. And what a tragedy, what a tragedy. There may be somebody here today that needs to come and walk right down here and let us take the Bible. Numbers have already come this morning, had their needs met. But there may be somebody that needs to get up out of this building, up here in the balcony, over here in the wing, across this auditorium, needs to get up out of your seat and walk right down here and let somebody meet you with the Bible. There are going to be some folks here in a moment. They'll take the Bible and they'll show you from the Word of God how you can go to heaven when you die. Be the greatest day of your life, a wonderful day. I want you to come. There may be some of you here today, you're saved, but you're not living for God. Oh, he's got a, a part in your life, but you're really not living for God. And you're really not an advertisement that does God justice, and you really hurt the name of the Lord more than you help the name of the Lord. What you ought to do today is get up out of your seat and come down here and make this Sunday morning the day you give your life to the Lord. Really get busy with God. So I'm going to live for God. I'm going to put him first in my life. I'm going to get right with God. I want you to know God will forgive you and God will put you back in fellowship with Him and He'll take your life and use Him. You just need to come. Just tell Him that you want to live for Him. You want to serve Him. Won't you do that this morning? 
And there may be some today just want to get out of your seat because you love the Lord so much and God means so much to you and your salvation is so precious to you that you just won't fall on your face and say, Dear God, help me never to be a poor advertisement for you. God, help me to be a billboard that draws people to Christ, not turns people away. You may just want to fall on your knees and say, God, I love you so much, and one of my greatest fears is that I would be a poor advertisement for you in this world. You may want to come. There may be those who want to come and unite with the church today. Whenever we begin to sing, you just come. Take a seat on the front row. We'll get your name and the information that we need from you. God is leading you here. This is where you want to serve God. But whatever the need, whatever the purpose, I want you to come. Father, this morning in Jesus' name, we are your ads. We're to show forth in this world. Father, may this whole world see in us what you can do for sinners. God, may they see in us somebody that is real. Not just a professor, but God, may they see a possessor. Father, may they see you in our life, magnified, manifested in our life. Lord, may we be a billboard for Jesus that will be acceptable unto you honorable unto you. So, Father, across this room today, this Sunday morning, draw us and deal with us and speak to us about the kind of advertising that we are for Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.